Hello, and thank you for joining me today here on Bible Studies with Russ. Today we're picking up uh, with Revelation chapter 16. We ended last time looking at verse 16, uh, looking at the looking at uh, Armageddon, and we're going to uh, get into that more today. I want to uh, begin by backing up and reading from verse 12 through verse 16, and then we'll talk about this word Armageddon found in verse 16. So in Revelation 16, beginning in verse 12, the Bible says, then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and it was and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs uh, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and to the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of, all, of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief, blesses he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gather them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. Now, if you remember last time, looking at verses 12 through 16, uh, we saw this maybe drawing a lesson from Old Testament history, the fall of ancient Babylon before the Persians under Cyrus, in which the waters of the Euphrates was, were, were, di- were diverted so that the city could be overrun. John shows the waters dried up so that the deceived kings can gather themselves for the great battle. The false prophets, the second beast of chapters 12 and chapter 13, verse 1. These are simply the kind of evil influences that will go forth in teaching and action. The Lord's coming will be as a thief. And we talked about this uh, last time. Now, <clears throat> the term Armageddon, if you look at this here uh, in the Strongs, it says here, this is a scene of, of, of a, this, 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 excuse me. The scene of a of of the struggle of good and evil suggested by the battle of the plain of of Esterlon, which was famous for two great victories of Barak uh, or Barak rather over the Canaanites, and of Gideon over the Mennonites, and for two great disasters, the deaths of Saul and Josiah. Hence, in Revelation, a place of great slaughter, the scene of a terrible retribution upon the wicked. Um, again, this is reading from Strong's definition. Uh, Strong goes on to say the RSV translates the name as as Har as Harmageddon, uh, the hill as far uh, the hill of Megiddo. Um, and if you look again, uh, looking at Strong's it says here Armageddon, a symbolic name, uh, the hill or city of Megiddo. Now. As you're listening about Armageddon, often related in some ways to Megiddo, the famous fortress in the land of Palestine, guarding the mountain pass from the plain of Jezreel to the coastal plain. Uh, again, here, Barak and Deborah overthrew uh, Caesarea, Judges 5, verse 19 and following. Here, Pharaoh Nechel defeated and slew Josiah, St. Chronicles 35. The literal meaning of this word is mountain or hill of, or, mountain or hill of Megiddo. The significance or meaning here is the following. The scene is the scene of the great battle between the forces of Satan and those of the Messiah. Uh, is this a literal battle? No, it is figurative. Um, is it a battle between two existing nations, for example, U.S. and Russia? No. Is it the last great battle during the rapture? Quotes, uh, put that in quotes there. Immediately preceding the establishment of the millennial kingdom when Christ will reign upon the earth? No, and no, Christ will not reign upon the earth. Or is it a spiritual battle that's been going on between the forces of wickedness and Christ, and there will be a final push on the part of wickedness, and it will come to an end? Yes. 
or more general terms, is it the spiritual conflict that has been going on since the beginning? Again, yes. This is simply a reference to the ongoing battle, ongoing uh, conflict between good and evil, between righteousness and unrighteousness, right and wrong. We want to look at some verses used for false teachings concerning Armageddon. Again, these are verses used for false teaching concerning Armageddon. Luke 21, 29-32 False teachers consider these verses vital to their teaching. Some say Matthew 24:32 is referencing Israel. Untrue, it's a reference to Jerusalem. False teachers say that when the tree puts forth its bloom or buds, that is referencing Israel becoming a nation, 1948. False teachers remove the words this generation to make Christ say the generation that begins to see these things being fulfilled. This is not what Christ said. One teacher even says those alive in 1948 will be alive when the Lord returns. 1948 to 2011, uh, well, 2000, uh, that's at the time this comment here mentions this. 1948 to today, uh, that's what, 80 something years? <clears throat> uh, if my math is correct, or 73, not 80, 75 years, something of that nature. 74. Then Christ will be due to return within. Um, uh, 50 years, if, if they are lucky, or maybe 60. How many times have such predictions been made and then shattered? Uh, again, that's referencing, give that time frame, referencing whenever this commentator made those comments. Uh, I have it here from 1948 to 2011. That makes it 63 years. Well, this being 22, uh, that makes it actually uh, 74 years. And well, how many times, the point being, how many times have such predictions been made and then shattered? False teachers contend that Russia will be a key country that takes this idea from Ezekiel 38 and 39. And actually have in my library two books, which I need to put red stickers on these because I usually uh, have these books kept separately, uh, from a Baptist preacher, one of the second coming of Jesus Christ, and the other on Sans Today, the return of Jesus Christ. He was so clear. Both his books say an easy guide to understanding, but they were so easy, he had to write two books. Obviously, they weren't very easy to understand um, because they're false. Uh, well, he talks about some of these same things. He uses this very idea. He talks about Russia being uh, put in place here, uh, being used instead of the term um what is instead of the term Rosh, he puts Russia. He even talks about, he also talks about Israel becoming a nation. How he says, I think he says at some point here, uh, was it within a day or something? Um, and I, I've read through this and, I, and it's been a long time. Um, but I can tell you, friends, go back to the Bible. Uh, this is not a reference to Russia. None of these things we're going to be talking about here, so we'll talk about as we go through this, are a reference to Russia. None of these things are a reference to a great battle that's going to come. Some would go so far as to say that Christ will come down out of heaven to fight in this great battle upon the earth. No, not the case at all. Christ never mentions him ever coming back to the earth again when he, when he returns for the, for the judgment of all mankind. He never even sets foot upon the earth. In fact, the Bible tells us we'll meet, that we will meet him in the air. Hard to wage a battle on foot, on the ground, when you're in the air. Uh, nonetheless, <clears throat> again, false teachers contend that Russia will be a key country. They take this idea from Ezekiel 38-39. Much is made of chapter 38 and verse 1. Uh, going here, we're going to spend a whole lot of time on this because... That is not what I want to focus on today. Maybe in the future we'll look more at this in some separate lessons, but not today. Uh, Ezekiel 38 and verse 1. 
says here, reading from the New King James, um, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, uh, probably verse 2 here, uh, verse 1 and 2, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Mesca, uh, Tubal, and prophesy against it. Now, some will say, again, that Rosh is actually Russia. Um, the Bible gives no indication of that. Um, much is made, again, of Ezekiel 38, uh, 1 and 2, where the countries and leaders are listed, despite some saying Rosh is Hebrew for Russia, and that Mesca is constructed the same way in Hebrew as Moscow. This is incorrect. It's simply false. It's not right at all. Um, Mesca is being identified by scholars as a country of Lydia, not Moscow. Thus, the construction of the word doesn't determine the actual word. Rosh has been decided as being unknown, but most scholars say it's unlikely that Russia is the correct reference. Now, for the sake of disapproving, for disapproving further false teaching, let's move on to what else is said concerning various countries in, Ar- in uh, Armageddon. Um, Again, false teachers go on to change the name Rosh to Russian address as such throughout their comments concerning Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, we could go on and look at the various misinterpretations concerning Ezekiel. We will conclude with a logical answer that Ezekiel, just like Revelation and Daniel, is full of figurative languages and not to be taken literally. And it is interesting to note that what is literal in the Bible many times is taken figurative, and what is figurative is taken literal. So many people want to use the reference, uh, apply figurative language to much of the New Testament. When they get to, to Revelation, which is filled with figurative language, they want to use it literally. They have it backwards. Um, and again, maybe in the future, if, if you're interested in this, we get some interest generated on this topic uh, Maybe on our Facebook page, Bible Studies of Rust, or if you want to contact us through our website, bywaymedia.org, uh, we get enough interest, then we'll look at some of these other false teachings concerning the second coming. Uh, if not, we're not going to spend our time on it. Okay, that's all I want to mention today. Go So going back to Revelation 16 and verse 17, you have the seventh bowl. The seventh bowl, Revelation 16, verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from a throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, and such a mighty such a, such a mighty great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Um, <clears throat> now the great city was divided into three parts, the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give up to give her the cup of the wine and the fierceness of, of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon fell upon men. Each hailstone weighed about weighed uh, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. Okay, so it is done means it is finished. Looking here, verses seventeen through twenty-one of Revelation sixteen. As in chapter 6 and verse 12 and chapter 11 verse 13, this indicates God's judgment. The battles in the Old Testament between the people of God and the forces of Satan are similar to the spiritual conflicts between the righteous forces under Christ and the wicked forces under Satan. Notice this is not said to be one battle or the, or the final battle. You can compare that to chapter 19 verses 11 through 21. Okay, so that brings us to... Um, 
<clears throat> chapter 17. Now, we finish here looking at chapter 16 finishes with just the wrath of God being poured out upon wicked people. Uh, every island fled away and mountains were not found. This does not mean they were literally fled away. Basically, there was no help for for them. There's nowhere they could run, and there was no one who was going to come to their aid. As we look there in verses 17 through 21. Okay, now, Revelation 17 you begin with the vision of the great harlot and her characteristics. And here we go back to really a verse-by-verse verse, uh, examination of this, at least for a time. So in Revelation chapter 17, uh, looking here at verse 1 and following, Revelation 17, looking at verse 1, Then one of the seven angels, he had the seven bowls, came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. So judgment is the idea of condemnation, which John is shown as a harlot and not an adulteress. This one is not a bride, never has been. Thus the harlot is the anti-Christian world and all of its seduction. Sitting upon many waters is explained later in verse 15. A setting refers to her ruling over them. Now, looking at verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So the great harlot is accused of two things, committing fornication with the kings of the earth and making her making earth dwellers drunk with the wine of her fornication. Kings of the earth is a phrase in Revelation that is put for human rulers in general. Here, probably the rulers of the territories absorbed and controlled by the Roman Empire. Committing fornication means, that they, means the accepting of idolatry and the claim of the emperor to be a god. And emperors were commonly putting themselves up as a god and wanting to be worshipped and treated as one. Um, crazy things, which today, sadly, we're not seeing exactly that, but we're getting pretty close in some places. Looking at verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. This beast is the beast of the sea, going back to chapter 13. Full of names of blasphemy, the many titles of the Roman emperors breathe blasphemy. Sebastian means reverenced, uh, reverenced. Uh, Divius and Theos, uh, I'm going to spell these, I'll probably mispronounce them. Divius, uh, spelled D-I-B-U-S, and Theos, spelled T-H-E-I-O-S, means divine. Savior was the title of Christ. Dominius, or Curious, uh, Dominius spelled D-O-M-I-N-U-S, or Curious, Kurios, uh, K-U-R-I-O-S, means Lord, the very name of God. The heads and the horns are explained later uh, in verse 12. And so this beast, this beast of the sea, has names with the blasphemy. Uh, the, here being a reference to many believe the names of the Roman emperors, whose very names were blasphemous. Uh, looking at verse 4, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. So, abomin uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the heads and the horns. Go back to verse 3. Uh, the heads and the horns in verse 3, oh, well, I did mention that, are, are explained later in verse 12, sorry. So, verse 4. Abomination in the Old Testament frequently meant moral and ceremonial uncleanness connected with idolatrous worship. Arrayed in purple and scarlet symbolized the wealth and luxury of Rome and the lustful way in which it was used to bring men to her in moral embraces. As we also have it referenced the golden cup, going back to Jeremiah 51 and verse 7. Looking at verse 5, And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, 
Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. That's quite a name written on this forehead. Um, the identifying name on the forehead alludes to the custom of prostitutes of public brothels of Rome wearing identification headbands on which their names were placed. Can you imagine? Wow. Um, mystery means that this was not to be taken literally but symbolically. Um, <clears throat> and so, even though this was done, uh, that, as again, as I mentioned, harlots <clears throat> wearing headbands with their names, that is something they did do. But again, this is being applied here in a figurative sense. Uh, Again, mystery means this is not to be taken literally, but symbolically. Uh, this is a mother. This is the mother city of the harlots and abominations existing in the earth. Babylon, the great Rome, is the mistress of the world. So a country is not literally wearing this headband, but it's figurative. It's symbolic that she is no doubt perverse and twisted. Looking at verse six, we have here the beast interpreted. Uh, looking at verse six, I saw the woman drunk. With, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and of the blood of the, of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marvelled with great amazement. So the woman is drunk, not with wine, but with the blood of the saints. There is no accurate way to know how many Christians the Rome put to death, and we can only imagine. Uh, that's what that is referenced to: the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. There's the idea that Rome was had killed thousands, millions perhaps, I have no idea, uh, Christians and others who were martyrs for Christ. Um, uh, Tactius, uh, spelled T-A-C-I-T-U-S, says Christians were killed by thousands in the most cruel way. Rome was intoxicated with the joy of persecution and drunk with the blood of Christian martyrs. You can read um, Fox's Book of Martyrs if you really want to know how Christians died in the first centuries uh, of the church, and I have that, actually have that book. And um, it's humbling. We think we, we think we have it bad today, and no doubt there are some serious problems in a lot of places in the world uh, for Christians. But um, boy, it'll make you thankful for being able to worship on the Lord's Day uh, thus far uh, without being hindered. <clears throat> he says here, um, go back here to our notes. This harlot is not only a drunkard and extremely immoral, but she highlights her evil by persecuting the church. The phrase, I wonder with great admiration or with great amazement, means he marveled or wondered how many have been astonished at her appearance. He may have been astonished at her appearance and what power she exercised in her harlotry. Looking at verses 7 through 11, we're going to look at this together. Verses 7 through 11. <clears throat> but the angel said to me, why, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is, the the beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are written. Who, those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has his wisdom. Uh, the seven heads or seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. For the beast that was, and is not, is himself also the eighth, and is of the seventh, and is going to perdition. Okay, 
The beast in some verses appears to represent the empire that supports the woman, being Rome. In other verses, it seems to refer to a single individual or succession of individuals who represent the entire represent the empire. Five have fallen, referencing Augustus, B.C. 30 to A.D. 14, Tiberius, A.D. 14 through A.D. 37, Caliga, spelled C-A-L-A, spelled C-A-L-I-G-U-L-A, 37 through 41, Claudius, 41 through 54, all these are A.D., and Nero, 54 through 68. One is, which is believed to be Vespasian, uh, if I said that correctly, 69 to 79, the other is not yet to, is not yet come, and when he comes, he must continue a little while. This referencing Titus, and not the book, but a man, seventy nine to eighty one. And the beast that was and is not is is himself also an eighth, and is of the seventh. This being a reference to many believe Domitian, from eighty one to ninety six. Uh, the reference about the bottomless pit and going to perdition shows that this is from the devil, and that these kings are controlled by the devil or under the influence of the devil. Uh, seven heads indicate the seven mountains upon which Rome is built. The seven kings are rulers. We are assured over and over that the beast will be defeated. The earth dwellers will share in his overthrow. Therefore, to choose the side of evil is to condemn themselves. It is clear from verses 10 and 11 that as soon as one dies and there rises to take his place, even, even though different, he is the same. So this is a reference to evil going away, evil coming back. Uh, this talking about going into, going into the bottomless pit and then coming back out. That's why the bottomless pit, I have to remember, the bottomless pit and the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death, are not the same places. The bottomless pit... The reference to just where uh, like the idea of evil rising its head, ugly head up again, the king dying, or the emperor dying, and then another one coming in its, in its place. So evil just rising up and, and faltering, rising up again and again. But when you go into the lake of, of fire and brimstone, which is the second death, which the uh, Satan, the great dragon, is cast into eventually, uh, there is no return. And so that there is a difference between the two. And here we're talking about, here we're talking about this bombless pit. <clears throat> okay, looking at um, verses 12 through 14. Verses 12 through 14. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind. They will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Okay, so ten horns and king, ten kings of the kingdom. These kings exercise power for one hour or a brief period. These are allies of the beast, giving him their strength and power. Who are the horns? Uh, there are a few ideas. Some believe governors or the provinces under the Roman Senate. Senate. Uh, the Parthians coming back with Nero to capture the Roman Empire. The unknown future rulers toward the end of the Roman Empire are purely symbolic powers representing all the powers that are subservient to the beast. The ten have one purpose, to oppose and fight the lambs we see in verse 14. This is a spiritual war. Christ and those who are chosen are the are, are those who are chosen and the called will win. Again, the overall theme of Revelation, the Christians Christians and the church have the victory. And we are reminded of that here in verse 14. Despite all the evil in the world, the evil rising up again and again, the Christian and the church have the victory. Looking at verses 15 through 18, then we'll finish today. Then he said to me, 
The waters which you saw where the, where the, harlots, where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and king, nations and tongues, rather. Um, and the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Uh, for God has put it, put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, to give their kingdom to the beast, until the words of God are fulfilled. And when the woman... And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Okay, so that's 15 through 18. The waters are the uh, polygods of peoples that made, made up the Roman Empire and the world by which by Satan's influence. Although Rome represented Babylon the Great in the first century, there have been many others through, through the centuries. The principle of principle of this figure lives on and can continue to be applied today. We find here again... What's going to happen? God uses nations to punish the wicked, and the church will have the victories. We find in verse 18, For God has put in their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and give their kingdom to the beast, until the words of God are fulfilled. And so again, uh, the church, the faithful, have the victory. Though evil may rise, the Christians, those loyal to God, the church, the body of Christ, will have the victory in the end. Okay, we're going to stop there today. When we come back next time, Lord willing, we'll pick up in Revelation chapter 18, looking at the fall of Babylon the Great and the judgment that God passes upon her. So we'll look at look at that next time. I do thank you for being here with me today here on Bible Saves the Rust. hope you have enjoyed this Bible study. hope you'll share this with others. If you have any comments or questions or concerns, you can contact me through the Facebook page, Bible Studies with Rust, or through our website at bywaymedia.org. Again, thank you for listening. And hope to see you again next time.